Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. As we've been talking about the gospel, and as we've been hearing stories of folks, we've been in this missions emphasis month. And for those of you that um, have been a part of the church for a while, you've probably heard the term missionary or missions. Um, the, the, that term exists because of the message of Jesus, because of what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. Missions doesn't exist otherwise. And so this morning, um, I want us to think a little bit about our part in getting the message of Jesus out. Because if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that means you heard the message. That means you know the message and you responded to the message. And then what Jesus makes very clearly is as we receive that, we're also supposed to share it. We're supposed to give it. And so this morning I want to look at two passages. One is from Luke um, chapter 15 where it's actually Jesus tells three stories, concurrent stories, about something that was lost being found. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. Uh, We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Just this little story that Jesus tells, Luke chapter 15, 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, um, there are some in the pews in front of you. I even put a little shortcut there so you can turn right to, um, to Luke chapter 15. Now, this is a, a, a good part way through Jesus' ministry, so just setting a little context here. Um, Jesus has been performing miracles. He has been doing a lot of teaching, and his fame is starting to spread. And so people are kind of looking at him a little more uh, critically. They're examining his life. Um, maybe people have done this with you before. They, they find out that you go to church, and they go, oh, you go to church? All of a sudden, they're like thinking about the language you use and the, the way that you treat uh, people in, in your, uh, that are in, you know, in fellow employees or people in your school or in your neighbors. All of a sudden, they kind of go, huh, does this person seem like a church person? <laughs> does this person seem like a Christian? Um, some of that's starting to happen with Jesus. That they're seeing this authority, this, this power, this, this message, and people are responding to it, and they're going, huh. Is he like a a religious person typically is? Is he like a leader typically would be? And we're going to see that, no, he's not quite. (laughs) Not quite, at least what some religious folks would imagine. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. It will not be on the screen, so you can just follow along in your Bibles. It says this. says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And I I love how that's separated, right? There's sinners and tax collectors. Like, they're tax collectors in their own category. <laughs> we actually had a member of our church that worked for the IRS before, so we used to joke about that. <laughs> um, so the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. How many of you heard this story before? So if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this story. At least it sounds familiar, right? And these are three stories that Jesus tells about the lost being found. In each story, you can read the next two on your own. In, the, in each story, the response to something being found that was lost is joy. God is happy when those that are lost are found. So when we read this story, there's... Uh, certainly you can disassociate from anything you read, right? But the question I might ask is, when you read this story, who do you associate with? Who do you identify with in this story? Do you see yourself in it? Most of us, many of us, at one point at least, and some today still in this room, are the sheep. We were lost. We were separate from God. We were on our own. I, I, I was reading. I said, what, what happens when a sheep is separated from the flock? Sheep are meant to be with other sheep. And so uh, as I was reading uh, in a couple of websites, it said that when a sheep is, is lost, is separated from the flock, they experience high levels of stress and anxiety. There's lots of fear. There's a disconnect from where they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to be with. At one point, all of us that were apart from God, we have this disconnect. And as a result of that, there is no, as Dan Robin shared, there's no hope. There's no security. There's no peace. Do you see yourself or, or can you identify with that moment of being lost? So all of us at one point were the sheep and then we were found by Jesus. And I hope this morning that that we don't identify in the story as the, the, with the Pharisees. But sometimes we do, right? Sometimes we, we're like, hey, we're good. Uh, we're, we're safe. We're, I'm good enough. And all those sinners out there, wow. I'm glad I'm not them. So this is the, the dynamic that Jesus is dealing with. There, there's these religious folks, and they're upset that Jesus is with those people. Those people. Now, Jesus doesn't, we don't get in, in this particular um, parable. It says he's with sinners and tax collectors, but he doesn't say how many. He doesn't name them. We don't know exactly who they are. But just a little bit later on in Luke chapter 19, we actually get the name of one of these other people, those people that, that the culture looks at as, as out there, as a sinner, as somebody not to associate with. And then we get this name of a person named Zacchaeus, and he's a tax collector. So he's sinners and tax collectors, right? He's one of them. And Zacchaeus, there's, there's thousands of people gathering to hear Jesus preach, and Zacchaeus wants to see him, and the, the Luke's description of him says he's kind of a little bit shorter, so he can't see above the crowd. So he climbs a tree, a grown man <laughs> climbs a tree so that he can just get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus sees him. And he says, tonight we're going to have dinner together. And as you know the story, Zacchaeus and Jesus have dinner together. Jesus invited himself over. That's a, that's a skill right there. If you, you need to learn that skill. It'll give you a lot of free meals. 
Jesus invites himself over and has a meal with this man. And it says that the people, not just the religious people, but all the people in the city were like, of all the people that Jesus could hang out with, him? Zacchaeus was a sheep. He was separate from everybody else. He was lost. And Jesus saw him and wanted him to be found. At the end of his time with Zacchaeus, we see Zacchaeus' heart begin to change. Jesus reaffirms what he had said in Luke 15. He says, this is why I came. I came to seek and to save the lost. Do you know that about Jesus? That he came to seek and to save the lost. I mentioned last week there's this ad campaign uh, that um, a lot of money has been spent to to kind of represent Jesus to the culture. If you watched the Super Bowl last week, there was one or two ads about Jesus, about who he associated with, about what he was like, about who he identified with. And, I, I, and it's always interesting to me to see how people respond. I've I saw re, seen religious people respond to that ad campaign saying, it's not enough. <laughs> it's, it, it's not complete theology. Of course it's not. It's a 30-second ad, right? And then I saw... Uh, um, a political leader say that it's an introduction to fascism talking about Jesus, right? And so here's my response. When people hear the same message and religious people don't like it for one reason and secular people don't like it for another reason, it's probably true. It's probably effective, right? Because that's what we saw with Jesus, that, that religious people didn't like who he was hanging out with, secular people didn't like who he was hanging out with. That's exactly who Jesus was there for. He was for people that needed to know the truth. They needed to be found. So what's the point? The primary mission of Jesus is to save. We use this terminology, even Dan and Robin were talking about, I got saved when? And some of you are like, saved from what? Saved from this disconnect from God. Saved from, from a false narrative within the world that says we save ourselves that we make our own joy, we make our own hope, it's dependent on us. And so the primary of Jesus, prime mission of Jesus was to save. And the primary mission of Jesus is still to save. And here's the thing, the way that Jesus does that today is through his people, the church. How many of you belong to Jesus this morning? Raise your hand. The primary way that Jesus saves today is through his people, you and me, the church. Now, there's a word that we've used uh, in the church for some time that makes people pretty uncomfortable, especially in my generation, maybe even a little younger. And the word is, it's an E word, right before the F word, okay? I don't know what you're thinking, but E word, evangelism. And it's a word that now, now people kind of bristle a little bit at that. Maybe because you had kind of some weird experiences growing up. Or, or maybe because you're just not sure what it even is. Evangelism. Evangelism is the work of evangelizing. Do you know what that means? It's taken from the Greek word where we get the word gospel. Euangelion. It, it literally just means to share the good news. Share the good news. I grew up in a church that was all about 
telling people about Jesus. Kind of like a, a TV commercial, though, sometimes they would only share part of the message of Jesus. They would share the bad news. That apart from God, they're going, people are going where? To hell. And I remember even uh, some, some signs that people in my church would show up to events and they would be holding in the street. And it would be, they'd be quoting Romans. Um, the wages of sin is death. But that's all they would say. <laughs> that's the bad news. They wouldn't then say the good news. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so some of us, when we hear the word evangelism, we kind of cringe a little bit. But at its core, being an evangelist or, or engaging in evangelism is, simply means to bring the good news. So do you know how to do it? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever evangelized? Have you ever shared the good news of Jesus? I hope you have. The reality is, is even if you haven't, of course you know how to do it. Everybody knows how to share good news. I think about nowadays when, um, when a, a couple ha have a baby or they're expecting a baby and they have what, what is now called reveal parties, right? Where it, by any means necessary, they'll, they'll shoot either a you know, pink color or a blue color to indicate what it is. And there's been some crazy stories uh, crazy events of people like starting forest fires and, you know, exploding their mother-in-law with a cannon, like trying to, to do it in a, in a creative way. And of course, it's all on film because that's our, our era, which I love personally watching this. Um, but people know how to share something good. We know how to do it. Like if you were a Chiefs fan uh, and you, your, your team won the Super Bowl last week, that's all you were going to talk about, right? The next day or two or three. We know how to share good news. The question is, are we? Do you know how to share the good news about Jesus? Do you know that Jesus wants the found, those of us that have been found, to go out and to seek out the lost? Let's talk about this for a minute this morning. The, the, the message that we need to share. The message that we need to share. So when we think about sharing the gospel, we need to know both the why and the how. I don't need to tell, you don't need to be told why when you have good news, but let's talk about that briefly. Again, Jesus uses the illustration of the sheep and the shepherd, of, being, of seeking and saving. And in a sense, this being found means uh, that we get a sense of security and identity and provision. That's really peace. You know, in my family, Jesus literally changed the trajectory of my family tree. When my father received the good news of Jesus and placed his faith in him, it changed everything for him. It, it, it affected who he would marry. It affected how many kids he would have. It, it affected what he would teach his kids, me. It affected Everything about his life, it literally changed the trajectory of his life. If my dad would not have discovered the message of Jesus, I probably wouldn't be here today. And so when we talk about this idea of being found in Jesus, it changes how we think. It changes how we live. It gives us a different purpose. And so this idea of repentance, we've talked about this before, is a change of 
mind. What we were pursuing before Jesus, now we pursue something different. Where we were looking for hope, where we were looking for joy, what we are envisioning our life to look like, everything about that changes when we are found in Jesus. The saving grace of Jesus for my father literally redeemed him. It freed him from drug addiction that he was on, from the promiscuous lifestyle that he was It freed him that. It redeemed him. And then it made him new. It is, in a sense, it recreated who David Fouché would be. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. The new is here. Now, in our world today, there are, there are kind of two parallel stories of recreation that are being told. Because the reality is that we all, most all of us know that something is broken in our lives, that something is missing. There is some, there is longings in our lives that are unmet. And so almost everybody in the world is looking to recreate themselves, to find the answers to those, to the brokenness in their lives. And the culture says, who you are is broken. So here's what you do. Who you are is broken. So here's what you do. First, take control. Get a new job. Buy a new car. Find a new spouse. Take on a new identity. Try a new drug. Who you are is broken. Here's what you need to do. If you doubt that this is the, the, the primary story of recreation in our culture, just watch TV. Just watch the ads that are being put before you. How many drug ads are there out there, right, that will fix you, that will recreate you? How many products do you need so that you can take control? Who you are is broken, so here's what you do. That's one narrative of being recreated, of finding new purpose, new identity. But there's another narrative, and this is the narrative that Jesus came to bring. God says, who you are is broken, so here's what I'll do. I'll make you new. Not new as in undo who you are, but new as in restore you to who you were created to be. To bring you back to a place where your hope, your joy, your happiness is not dependent on what you have, what you own, or what skills you have. Those things are given to you because you are with me. You're part of my family. Most people don't need to hear about their sin. We know we're broken. What people do need to hear is that there is a way to be healed and to be made whole. Two creation, recreation narratives. The, the world says you are broken. Here's what you need to do. Take control. God says who you are is broken. Here's what I'll do. I will meet you in your brokenness. And I will lead you to new life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. And this is what the saving grace of Jesus does. He brings a type of recreation by restoring us to relationship with God. To restore literally means to bring someone to a former owner, a former place, or a former condition. To bring us back to the life that we were meant to live from the beginning. 
recreation and restoration. This is the message of Jesus that the found, the church, you and me are to declare to a broken world. So this is why this message is needed. How do we do it? How do we do it? Jesus isn't hanging out with IRS agents like Zacchaeus anymore. So how are lost people being found? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 continues. It says, all this is from God. Well, all what? This reconciliation, this new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, what? Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how, how is Jesus bringing the lost to him today? The answer is this, us. He is committed to us, this message that the world needs to hear, this message of recreation, of reconciliation. The church, the family of God. The work of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, we got it. We get it. And we're called to live it to a world that needs to hear it. The word that Paul uses here is this word ambassador. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador in a, in a political sense represents the will of the nation and it's particularly of the, of the president or of the ruler in a foreign place. Actually, when I was younger, I always wanted to be an ambassador. I thought, how cool. I could live in a different country and I just get to hang out with people and just be a good example of America. That's what an ambassador gets to do. They're in a foreign place representing a king or a leader. And so when Paul says we are ambassadors of this, that's the idea. When we go into our schools, when we go into our workplaces, when we have conversations with our neighbors, we get to represent Christ to them. There's a lot of fear, though, isn't there? There's a story I heard of a, of a, a, a boss at a company, actually an owner of a company, and he calls in one of his key leaders. This is a true story. And he, he's, he calls him in and he says, man, I, I got to tell you something. Something happened to me recently. And I, and I don't want people to think this is weird or take it out of context. But I'm a Christian. I just gave my life to Christ. <laughs> and, and now everything about my life is, is, is looking different and it's changing. And, and I just had to share it with somebody. And so one of his man, the manager that he called in goes, whoa, that's, that's incredible news. He goes, I am too. And the owner of this company goes, you are? Why have you never told me before? His first response wasn't like, oh, I have a, I have a friend who's a Christian. He was like, I never knew. We've known each other for years. You're, you're a top leader in my company. I have never known that you had the message the whole time because you've never shared it with me. 
And so this is the challenge for us is we can be good people. And there's even a phrase that, that's been attributed to an old saint called preach the gospel. says preach the gospel daily if necessary use words. And we love that phrase because it means we don't have to say anything. Let's just be good people. They'll figure it out. <laughs> and certainly the way that we live might cause people to ask questions, but are we ready to give the answer? I think too many times we're afraid to do it because we just don't know how. So I just want to share briefly as we end. I want to share four steps to being an ambassador for Christ where you live. Four steps. The, the first one is remember your own story. Remember your own story. I, I, I didn't ask them this, but I, I'm guessing as, as Dan and Robin, I gave them the questions at a time. As they were thinking of the answers, the responses to the question, they begin to remember how God has been faithful in their lives, which we quickly forget, don't we? We have what I call Israelite syndrome. You know what Israelite syndrome is? The, the Israelites, when they were being freed from captivity, they experienced these amazing things. And the next day they're like, has God forsaken us? Like there was literal food on the ground when they woke up that morning and they're like, maybe we should go back to Egypt. Like they forgot what slavery was like. We do this too. We forget the faithfulness of God in our own lives. And so the first step to being an ambassador for Christ is to constantly remember the grace of God. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And the, way, the best way to do that is to remember how Jesus found us, the people he put in our lives. Maybe it was your parents, but that was significant. Maybe it was your friend or your coworker, or maybe like my dad, he had a miraculous experience on the side of the stinking road. Remember your own story. When we remember our own story, we're reminded of the power of God and his recreation story that is so different than anything the world offers. When we remember our own story, we're grounded in the grace of God and our identity. See, that's what the religious leaders had forgotten. They had thought it was all about their works. And so when Jesus was hanging out with sinners, they're like, how could he hang out with those people? They had forgotten they used to be those people. Remember your own story. The second one is listen to the story of others. Listen to this. Listen, again, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And there was a lot of people yelling at corners and handing out pieces of literature. We called them tracks. That might work, okay? I'm not discrediting that. But not everyone, in fact, very few people are, are called to have some kind of public preaching ministry that looks like that. The most significant influence that each of us have is right where we are. All of us in this room have a unique mission field, unique to you. Like literally nobody in this room can reach the people that you can reach. Nobody else is in your home. Nobody else has the family you have, goes to the school that you have, lives in the neighborhood that you have, has the job that you have. Where you are is your unique mission field. One of the things I love about our church is because we're a diverse church, that means we can have a diverse impact. If we all look the same, like if we're all between the ages of like 20 and 40 and had 2.5 kids and we're all white, we would all, the impact we would have would be on people just like that. But we have people from multiple different countries that can reach people that I can't reach. 
We have people from multiple different backgrounds, different ages, different generations. Each of us has a unique mission field. And if you think somebody else is going to reach those people, you're wrong. Jesus has placed you right where he wants you. And so listen to, here's, here's the listen to the story of others. You don't have to jump right from like, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, let me tell you about Jesus. What you need to do is you need to, in these contexts, be intentional. Ask stories about people's lives. Hear their stories. Hear what type of story they're currently living into. What you will begin to hear is the recreation narrative that they've bought into that the culture offers. I just, man, I can't wait until I graduate from college because then my life will begin. Oh, I can't wait until I get my first job because then I will feel complete. Oh, I can't wait until I get a little higher in my job and a little more money because then I'll have some peace. As you begin to listen to the story of others, you begin to hear what narrative is driving their life. And then you know how to bring the gospel. You know how to bring in the, the message of Jesus. Uh, I think we can call this, what some people have called it, is pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism. It's helping, it's listening to people's stories and helping them unpack their own story and listening for those sour notes in their life, that lostness where the gospel can come in. Jesus was a great model for this. You see him having these interactions with people, woman at the well, a woman caught in adultery, Zacchaeus, what is broken in their life, and then Jesus brings in grace and hope in the midst of that. Listen to the story of others. So remember your own story. Listen to the story of others. Thirdly, tell your story to others. As you listen to those stories, you go, oh, I can relate to that. Let me tell you how I used to feel just like that. But now I have hope. Let me tell you about that hope. First Peter chapter 3 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the to give reason for the hope that you have, 1 Peter 3.15. When people say, how do you have hope in the midst of that? How are you able to do that? Let me tell you how. So tell your stories to other people. Your story of redemption. Make it all about Jesus. And I would even encourage you, if you're part of a community group, to, to practice this in your community group. It will build the faith and the community, the relationships in your community group. I would say, hey, every, every time you gather, if you haven't done this, have one person in your community group just share their story about how they came to faith how the, and why they have hope now in the midst of their journey. It will build the faith of your group and it will remind you of your own story. And then lastly, I'll close with this. Pray for opportunities. I can't remember if it was Dan or Robin, but it just said the word intentional. Intentional. I remember years ago, I was in a Bible study with some guys in our church one morning, and we were talking about how do we share the gospel? And all of us were like, oh, we need to do it. How do we do it? We don't want to do it. It's, we're scared to do it. People are going to think we're weird. And I was like, man, I would love to, but I'm on staff at a church. I only hang out with church people. Like, who can I share the gospel with? And so as we were closing our Bible study, I said, would you just pray for me, guys, that I could have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that doesn't need to, 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 or somebody that needs to hear it? And so they prayed for me. And then right after that, I went to a coffee shop to do some study and have my Bible and a notebook with me. 
And as I was getting coffee, the guy at the checkout counter, he, he goes, is that a Bible? And I was like, no, it's a dictionary. And I put it behind my back. No, I didn't say that. I go, yes, it is a Bible. And then I thought, wait, I just prayed for an opportunity to share my faith. Could this be one? <laughs> I just prayed for this. And I go, have you ever read the Bible? Yeah, I, a long time ago. What, what did you think? Wow, there's some things that were hard to understand about it. I'm like, well, what? And obviously, we're, there's a lineup behind me. Coffee. I'm going to sit over there. If you have a break, I would love to share more with you. So I go back and sit down and go, well, that was fast, Lord. You answered that prayer like in 10 minutes. We just prayed it. And then as I'm sitting there, somebody next to me goes, is that a Bible? And I go, no, it's a dictionary. <laughs> and I go, yeah, it is. <laughs> have you ever read it before? Like, boom, boom. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to be honest. I've actually had those types of, maybe not the Bible one, but I've had those types of opportunities all the time. In fact, you have too. When people <sighs> sigh deeply, and you go, what's wrong? Or you ignore it. Or you say, hey, how was your day? And they go, oh, it's been tough. And you go, oh, that's, that's tough. No, you say, well, what's been tough about it? Each of us have opportunities to share, but we miss them daily, and I believe because we're not praying for them. Prayer orients us to the message. Prayer gives us this intentionality, and prayer also reminds us of what we really need to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit. We can't do it alone. Prayer connects us with the heart of God, and then God moves us into these opportunities to share his word. It will not happen by accident. The Pharisees had an issue with who Jesus was associating with, but Jesus didn't care because he knew what his mission was. The challenge for the church today, for you and me, is to not disassociate. Too many Christians today have a disassociative disorder. Do you know what that is? There's like two personalities, two identities in one. They claim Jesus on Sunday or in the privacy of their homes, but they deny him when they have the chance to share the message of his grace. And they deny him if it might mean they'll face some social discomfort. They disassociate. They say, oh, the church is, is that group over there. And they forget they're a part of the church. But not us. Not the people of Sunset Community Church. We're part of an amazing story that is still being written about how Jesus recreates and restores. And so I hope this morning has reminded you of that now. And I hope that you would have this sense of the next chapter in your story being written. That we get to flip a page. We get to go from this place and we get to be ambassadors of the good news of Jesus. So as much as we pray for health, and finances, and relationships. Let's also be a people that prays that God would enable us to be gospel ambassadors. Amen? And I want to pray to that end right now. We're just going to close with prayer today. So if you would stand with me. There's some churches I've seen, they have on their exit, maybe we'll do this someday, I don't want to be cliche, but they have on their exit, it says, you are now entering 
your mission field. It's true. Remember, where God has you is exactly where he wants you. So let's pray today. Father, you have chosen to make the mysteries of creation, of grace, of identity. You have chosen to reveal those things through your church. And Lord, may we not disassociate from the word church. May it be like our last name. That when we say church, we think family. We think identity. We think ourselves. And Lord, as we leave this place, may we be a people of prayer for a lost and broken world. May you give us opportunities, Lord God, to share our story, to listen to the story of others, and to be ready to share the hope that we have in you. So Holy Spirit, we cannot do this without you. We need your wisdom, we need your power, and your guidance. So as we are reminded of uh, the gospel in our lives, would you allow us to share the gospel to other lives as well? Lord, may we be as a church be able to say in the days ahead, wow, look who the Lord has brought to our church, not because they came from some other church or moved from out of the area looking for a new church, but because lost were found. Because those that were broken and were believing in a false story of recreation found the true story. They've been transformed by it. May we see that move, Lord God, in our city, in our neighborhoods, and in our church, Lord, the lost being found. We thank you that you found us. Oh God, your grace is amazing. Be with us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.